There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. It's Wednesday, June 15th. From inside the WTOP newsroom, this is the DMV Download, brought to you by the men and women of Steamfitters Local 602. Get an estimate and learn more at steamfitters-602.org. Today, we're learning new details about exactly what happened when an armed California man walked up to Justice Brett Kavanaugh's house with the intent to kill him. We share portions of Nicholas Roski's 911 call before he turned himself in. Uh, there are other weapons in the suitcase, but I do not have any in my possession. What other weapons are in the suitcase? Uh, there's pepper spray, there's uh, a knife, uh, there are various um, tools. And a Fairfax County neighborhood grapples with its street names that have links to slavery and the Confederacy. WTOP's Nick Ainelli says it's part of a broader racial reckoning in Virginia. Some people don't think it's going to actually do anything in reality. And the others say this is symbolic. If you're a young person of color seeing Plantation Parkway, what message does that send? Thanks for joining us. I'm Megan Cloherty. And I'm Luke Garrett. Congress took action this week on a threat that hit too close to home for Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. By a wide bipartisan margin, lawmakers approved a bill Tuesday night to support the justice's security by granting the marshal of the Supreme Court and court police the power to protect the justices and their family members. The bill is now headed to President Biden's desk for signing. This, of course, comes after a threat on Kavanaugh's life last week when a California man named Nicholas Roski flew here and took a taxi directly to Kavanaugh's home in Chevy Chase, telling police he had a plan to kill the justice and himself. We got the recording of the 911 call 26-year-old Nicholas Roski made at 1.39 a.m. on June 8th, which we're going to play throughout this conversation. He initially called 911, and then when he didn't know the address, he said he'd call back. Then exactly a minute later, he called back and told the dispatcher he's having thoughts and needs psychiatric help. Okay, so tell me exactly what happened when you said these thoughts. I'd been having them for a long time. I'm from California. I came over here to act on them. Megan, you found the criminal complaint explaining the reason for the charges against Roski, who eventually turned himself in. What'd they say? Yeah, the, the documents say basically he had arrived 30 minutes earlier. Um, they say at 1.05 in the morning, U.S. Marshals uh, saw him get out of the cab dressed in black clothing, carrying a backpack and a suitcase. But then he walked the other way. So they're probably thinking, oh, he's, you know, somebody coming to the neighborhood or something. Mm. But he did give the taxi driver the exact address for Kavanaugh's house, which we'll get into in a second. And it says he came straight from the airport. Are you thinking of hurting anyone, including yourself? Yes. Montgomery County Police Chief Marcus Jones says when Roski saw the U.S. Marshals standing next to their car outside Kavanaugh's home, that's when he turned around to kind of think about his next move. So uh, Jones says, quote, this is when he texted his sister and told her of his intentions and she convinced him to call 911, which he did. Do you have access to any weapons? Yes, I, I, I brought a firearm with me, but it's unloaded and locked in the case. I need to get your description. What race are you? I'm white. I have uh, short, uh, short light brown hair. Uh, I'm wearing a gray shirt and black pants. 
And so what does he have in this suitcase? Does he pose a serious danger? Yeah. I mean, so he told the dispatcher what he had, referencing a gun that court documents say he later told police he had purchased to kill the Supreme Court justice. And he tells the dispatcher the other things that he had in the suitcase. Uh, there are other weapons in the suitcase, but I do not have any in my possession. What other weapons are in the suitcase? Uh, there's pepper spray. There is uh, a knife. Uh, there are various um, tools. No other firearms. No explosives, nothing like that. So just looking at the court documents here, he mentioned the pepper spray um, and the knife. But So he had a Glock 17 pistol with two magazines and ammunition, zip ties, a hammer, screwdriver, nail punch, crowbar, light duct tape, and hiking boots with padding on the outside of the soles, which the documents say was intentionally padded to try and make his footsteps quieter if he did end up getting inside Literally the house. Literally sneaking around the house. Yeah. Okay, Roski's like outside Kavanaugh's home. He has a gun. He has a bag full of kind of sleuthing materials. Do we know anything about, you know, why he was there? Yeah, and his answer is sort of eerie. It's kind of hard to hear, but the dispatcher asks him, you know, oh, do you know anyone in town? And he says yes. And he said you came from California. Do you know someone down here? Brett Kavanaugh. You said red, like the color? Brett. Rex. The Supreme Court Justice. Okay. And you came alone? Correct. The documents also say that Roski told police he believed the justice he intended to kill would side with the Second Amendment decisions that would loosen gun control laws. Um, and he said, quote, he began thinking about how to give his life a purpose and decided that he would kill the Supreme Court justice. So he was definitely targeting Kavanaugh. Mm. And how did he even know where Kavanaugh lives? I mean, is this publicly known information? How did he get that? He says he got it from the Internet. Um, and actually, he explained in detail because he said it wasn't necessarily easy to find, but he explains how he found it. I'm assuming, the, did you Google or how did you find the uh, Rex? How did I find the address? Yeah. Uh, I, uh, let me think. I'm not sure how it's on the street, but there is a, there is a, um, uh, whatever, an article that has a picture of the front of this house on it and it has the street number. And then I cross-reference it and I looked at the pictures from the press, um, you know, from various protests, whatever, and I, I compared it to the outside of this house and it matched. And what's interesting about this, in my opinion, is multiple times Roski expresses he wants to be compliant He's turning himself in. He describes himself physically. He empties his pockets. He had, like, paper in his pockets. He's like, I want to make sure I have nothing on me. Um, And he requested psychiatric support in an attempt to keep him on the phone, right? The dispatcher is asking him about all sorts of things, about his dog, about, you know, do you have any friends? Do you? I mean, just kind of trying to keep him engaged. Mm. Um, But he does ask him why he wanted to do this, why he wanted to kill himself. Uh, You ever think about hurting someone else and yourself or— because I didn't think I could get away with it, and also I've been for a long time. I've been hospitalized multiple times. I hear police sirens currently. Yeah, they're, they're coming lights and sirens, but they're coming to help you. Just keep talking to me, and they're close. You're doing fine. Okay. So Montgomery County Police Chief Marcus Jones says that uh, Roski was taken into custody by Montgomery County police officers at 1.42. So relatively quickly, you remember he made the call at 1.39 a.m., Um, And then he is now charged with attempting to kill a federal judge and is due back in court on June 22nd. Um, And obviously, this is a threat that really brought to the attention 
what Governor Yunkin and Governor Hogan were asking the U.S. Marshals Service to do, which was to add security outside of these justices' homes. And now we know Congress agrees and there's a bill going to the president's desk to make that official, that the justices and their family members have a little extra security, at least for the time being. Mm. Well, Megan, thanks for getting us that 911 call and the court documents and to really walk us through this national story that's really a local story. You know, it happened on Montgomery County streets. Thank you. Sure. And after the break, Fairfax County residents are debating whether they should change the names of streets that have links to the Confederacy. Next, Nick Ionelli shares the argument and emotions from both sides. If you want to save money and grow profits on your next commercial heating, cooling, HVAC, or refrigeration project, go with the men and women of Steamfitters Local 602. You can trust the experience of its workforce, members who have expertise in heating, air conditioning, refrigeration, and process piping to deliver work that's on time and on budget. For a partner you can trust who's mutually focused on your bottom line and to schedule, contact Steamfitters Local 602 at steamfitters-602.org. That's steamfitters-602.org. Steamfitters Local 602, changing lives. Thanks for listening to the DMV Download. If you like the podcast, head to our show page, give us a rating, and leave a review. We read all of them and use the suggestions to improve the show that we're so proud of. It also helps other listeners find this, our region's only local daily news podcast. Thanks for making us a part of your day. Confederate Lane, Plantation Parkway, Lee Highway, and Stonewall Avenue. Do these street names stand despite their ties to the Confederacy and slavery? That's the question facing Fairfax County residents who live on and around these streets. People who live in a Fairfax City neighborhood debated this passionately in front of the city council, which is considering whether to change more than a dozen streets that both neighbors and businesses have come to identify with for decades. WTOP's Nick Ionelli joins us now on Zoom. And Nick, how many street names are we talking about here and where are they? Are they throughout the county? Are they kind of focused in one area? Right. Well, this is Fairfax City and it's 14 street names. And I'll just rattle them off right now. It's Lee Highway, Lee Street, Mosby Road, Mosby Woods Drive, Old Lee Highway, Plantation Parkway, Raider Lane, Ranger Road, Reb Street, Scarlet Circle, Singleton Circle, Stonewall Avenue, and Traveler Street. Those are the 14 street names that may be renamed due to their affiliation with Confederate names or things that are tied to slavery. Mm -hmm. And these streets are mainly centered around the Mosby Woods neighborhood, mm. a part of Fairfax. And that's named after a Confederate Army Battalion commander named John Mosby. So that right there, the name of the neighborhood is tied to the Confederacy. But, you know, some of the people take issue. They think that that street names, their street names don't have necessarily any ties to the Confederacy, one of those being Ranger Road on that list. You think about Ranger Road. Well, what are the, does that have to do with the Confederacy? You'd really have to dig down and mm. see the history. Opponents there argue that it's an innocuous name, not necessarily associated with the Confederacy, but the city council documents, they dig into the history and they say that uh, the Confederate Army Battalion that John Mosby led was known as Mosby's Rangers. So some of these are not directly tied necessarily to the Confederacy or mm -hmm. slavery or anything like that. And that's really where some of the controversy comes from. Right. And so let's get into it. When you were listening into this, you know, city council meeting, what were the arguments for changing these names that, you know, have these attachments to slavery and the Confederacy? Well, we know that Virginia, there's been a reckoning ever since the George Floyd protests and riots that followed 
uh, George Floyd's death in Minneapolis, all around the country, Confederate symbols and monuments have been taken down. And in Virginia, especially, as Richmond was the capital for the Confederacy, this has been an issue. It's been an issue now for years. So the lawmakers in Fairfax City, they argue that this changing of the names would, quote, encourage a close-knit community of distinct neighborhoods where people feel welcome, safe, and secure. That's according to the city council documents. And as you noted, people got emotional during that hearing. Uh, One man in particular who was really yelling at the council and yelling at opponents of the name change, he was saying, Here we are with our non-black privilege saying, oh, it's not racist. We should be embarrassed. He noted that most of the people in this debate were not people of color. And he took issue with that. He said, we are not black. We have privilege. It seems that people are claiming, I live in this neighborhood named after a Confederate military man, but my road is simply unassociated. Are you kidding me? And he received a smattering of applause. And each side, whether they were for or against the name changes, it ended in applause. So you can see how this this issue has divided this neighborhood. Nick, tell us about the argument of those who want the names to stay the same, because I think what I was reading from your article on WTOP.com, it wasn't necessarily that they want it to be racist in any way. They're just talking about, you know, I've lived here forever. Right. I mean, tell us about those arguments. Right. So one woman spoke. She lived there for more than three decades. She told the council. I never looked at the names as memorializing or honoring or promoting the Confederacy. That was her argument. And another man said, quote, these name change proposals do nothing whatsoever to help anyone in our society. He said that changing the name gives the illusion of helping people without having to do anything constructive. That was his argument. And when you look as a homeowner at what it means to have your street suddenly changed, you start to see that there are inconveniences. Objectively speaking here, I'm not arguing for one side or the other, but Mm -hmm. there are inconveniences that you would have to take into account. Mm. And what do you mean? I mean, what sort of inconveniences would you face as a homeowner if your street name changed? Yeah, if you look at your ID, just for instance, your street name is no longer going to line up with your ID. Now, the city claims that you won't need a new ID, And the city claims that for tax purposes, city officials will change the land book and personal property records for anybody on the affected streets. Mm -hmm. But then you go into you have a personal life. You have things, especially now, we all know after the pandemic, everybody gets everything delivered to your house. Right. You have food deliveries. okay? maybe DoorDash, things like that. Those are the easy ones to fix. But what about your bills? What about your doctors, lawyers? What about your dentists? What about your veterinarians? Yeah, it's almost like you're moving, really. Exactly. And these are the things that the city council has told residents that they will be responsible for dealing with. So the question for these folks is they're going to have to go through inconveniences in their personal life. That's inevitable. And so is it worth it? And that's the debate. What are they suggesting that streets be renamed for? Is there is there any talk of, OK, we want to change the street name, but to what? That's an ongoing issue as well. They don't know exactly what they're going to call these streets. What they do know is that they have taken months with a subcommittee working with community members, a subcommittee within the city council that is working with community members to identify streets that stand out in people's minds as being 
something that you take a another look at mm-hmm. and you do a double take and say, hey, that doesn't look quite right. That's what's been happening over the last several months. So they know the streets. They have not yet said what they may rename the streets as. But when the city council reconvenes and likely will change at least some of these street names, at least that's what it appears will happen. Then after that, we will find out what the replacement names may be. Did they talk about renaming the neighborhood as a whole? You mentioned it's named for uh, John Mosby as Mosby Woods. Um, Was that part of the conversation in the debate? Yes, that is part of the debate. Uh, But the debate is mainly focused on the streets, because once you start renaming these streets, Lee Highway, Lee Street, Mosby Woods Drive, Mosby Road, Plantation Parkway, once you start renaming these streets, the community name is going to change as well. So it's really just this network of streets. These streets, in many ways, do have ties to names associated with the Confederacy. And if these names change, the community name is going to change as well. And it's really an an emotional debate there for all the reasons that we talked about, the personal inconvenience. uh, Some people don't think it's it's going to actually do anything in reality. And the others say this is symbolic. If you're a person of color and you're driving down Plantation Parkway, what message does that send? That's on the other side. Those people would say it's absolutely worth it. This is not something that we should have in our society, given the reckoning that Virginia went through with all of the Confederate tied monuments and symbols over the last couple of years. WTOP's Nick Ionelli, thank you for bringing us into you know this neighborhood story, this neighborhood debate that's playing out in Fairfax. Absolutely. And it's going to be ongoing for a couple of weeks. The council is going to meet again in two weeks. And apparently they're going to make a final decision on whether to rename the streets. And meanwhile, across the Potomac in D.C., George Washington University, you know, changed their moniker, the Colonials today, to something else. They haven't decided yet. Yeah. And the school announced it was departing from that moniker today. But Luke, why did they say why? So there's a controversy, right? Um, there are two sides here. One of the sides, you know, said the moniker, the Colonials, was good and it represented those who, you know, started this country and gave freedom. And another said, you know, colonialism and colonials killed indigenous people and massacred people, basically. And so what the school ended up saying is, you know what, this issue is so contentious, it is not unifying. And that's a job of a moniker. It needs to unify. So they ultimately said, we can't use it anymore. And officially, the school year of 2023 and 2024, they'll no longer use that moniker. So we don't know what it's going to be, though. No, there's a committee, you know, they'll hire like a firm to kind of decide what that's going to be. But they did say that historians, you know, weighed in on this decision and they found that George Washington himself, quote, firmly rejected the term colonial in the first few times it was used, end quote. So Hmm. unclear about how historians found that out. But the school did, you know, use that as part of the reason why they ended the use of this term. And before we go, you know, Megan has some great, great, fantastic news for us. Yes. Um, this, I feel like I'm on the spot now. <laughs> um, we won a big award last night, and it sounds very self-congratulatory, and I guess it is. But um, we went to the, the uh, Society of Professional Journalists Award um, presentation. WTP was nominated for like a slew of awards, many of which we won, and our colleagues should be very proud of themselves as well. Um, but at the very end of the whole evening, they kind of set up this really big award. It's called the Watchdog Award, mm. um, and how it really is... It represents to the Society of Professional Journalists of D.C. the best of the best, essentially. Like all of the entries that came in. Right. 
of journalism that people are really proud of and they think changed something and, you know, they think made a difference in our community. Mm. This is the one they chose to be the best of, of that group. And drum roll. And we won. <laughs> um, <laughs> me and Jack Moore won uh, the, I'm looking at it, the, R, the Robert D.G. Lewis Watchdog Journalism Award for our coverage of the Department of Forensic Sciences, the D.C. Crime Lab, mm. and just the really the crumbling of one of the pillars of justice in the city and how, you know, it started. We've stayed with it the whole time yeah. and where it is now. And it was really nice. I mean, it was nice, not just the award part of it, because I'm not a huge awards person. I mean, I appreciate them, but it's more about right. why you do the work every day, right? Right. But to have, like, to have this honor and then for them to explain what the story was and how difficult it was to report in front of all of our peers. Yeah, how'd that feel? It was cool. I mean, it was it was cool. It was, I mean, a, a lot of um, colleagues who I know, many who I respect but don't know, were in the room, especially after these two years where we're yeah. like, I heard someone's name and I was like, oh, I've only seen them on Twitter. Like, oh, that's that person, <laughs> you know? Um, but it was just, it was a nice moment and I got a little bit, like... I don't know. It was fluttery. a fluttery. Yeah, that's yeah. a good word for it. Well, congratulations. Thank you. And then congratulations to Jack Moore, too. He is not mm. a fan of any kind of attention, and he didn't go with me last night, but he deserves, I mean, all the credit in the world because the story is not sexy or fun to report. Mm. It's a lot of document-heavy, detail-oriented kind of reporting, which is hard to make that shine, you know? Totally. Um, but it, I think we have made a difference. I think it's it's something that we'll continue to follow. Yeah, so, exactly. It's still a living story. Yeah. Congrats again. Thanks. And uh, that'll do it for us today. This show is brought to you by, you know, Steamfitters Local 602. Our managing editor is Craig Schwab. And our music is by Real World. Leave us a review and rate our show when you get the chance. And become a member of our VIP listeners at dmvdownload.com. We also post on social every single day, so you can check us out there. Even more so than usual, guys. <laughs> it's cranking up. You'll notice. <laughs> the DMV Download is a product of WTOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in the D.C. area, 107.7 FM in Virginia, 103.9 FM in Frederick, online at WTOP.com and on the WTOP News app. Have a great night.